Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. Hope you're having a great summer and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, left, right, or center, none of us have ever seen a political season quite like this one. The Republican primary started out and shifted into high gear 18 months ahead of time. The first debate for 2024 will actually be this month, August 2023. The Republican frontrunner has been charged with 78 crimes and could well spend weeks of the campaign in a courtroom. And even though the economy's booming, the incumbent president's approval rating is stuck at around 40%. And that doesn't count all those important races for 435 House seats and 33 Senate seats in 2024, both houses of which, of course, now have razor-thin margins. It's so hard to keep track of it all or make any sense of what's going on without the help of an experienced political guide. And today, we're lucky to be joined by one of the best, Charlie Cook, founder of and still a contributor to the legendary Cook Political Report, now known as the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. And my good friend, Charlie Cook, it's so good to connect with you again. Thanks for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod. My pleasure, Bill. So, uh, Charlie, I'd like to take a look at the whole political landscape with you in the short time we have, uh, the White House, the Senate, the House, all 2024. But uh, I want to ask you a threshold question. You know, every day, and this is your business, but every day we see new polls, polls from Iowa, polls from Michigan, polls from Pennsylvania, polls for the Republican primary, polls for the general election. How reliable are any of these polls today, August 2023? Uh, it's kind of like someone asking you how reliable are cars. Uh, depends on <laughs> the car, you know. It, it's uh, uh, you know there are there are very high quality polls, and then there are some that are are junky models. Uh, but also. Um, you know, I don't think polling ever was as like deadly accurate as we thought or pretended they used to be, but they're a hell of a lot more accurate than I think most people think. And for example, you know, everybody points to 2016. Well, right. polling, you know, Hillary was ahead by three and nationally, and she won the national popular vote by two. Uh, <sighs> frankly, doesn't get much closer than that. But people were conflating the national popular vote and national polls with what's going on in the Electoral College and what's going on in individual states. And, you know, now that we have a country that's evenly divided and that we have Democrats wasting um, an enormous amount number of votes by running up the score in your home state of California and (laughs) Massachusetts and Maryland, 
uh, where in the last four elections in a row, the top t- seven of the top 10 states with wasted votes were, 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 uh, were Democratic states or Democratic years. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that in other words, when you win California by 5.1 million votes, when you win New York State by 2 million, um, you know, a million, a million, seven thousand, three, four. I mean, we're in 2020. Biden won the number one through number seven states in terms of wasted votes, and Trump won eight numbers, eight, nine, and ten. So a Democrat probably needs to be ahead by at least four, five, six points nationally before that's going to translate, you know, with any reliability into uh, an electoral college majority. Decide. <laughs> right, and right. Don't necessarily break down the middle. So when Hillary Clinton was ahead by three nationally or whatever, um, if the undecideds broke against her, then the polls could have been absolutely accurate to the extent that they can measure what people are thinking at the time they're interviewed. But mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, I think we have to be a little bit more guarded, but it's not that polls don't work. I, I think a lot of it is, is, is the interpretation. And people treating it as if it's God's honest, you know, word or something when it's not. Right, and uh, and also, um, right, isn't it true? I mean, a lot. Let's say Michigan, right? Uh, if you see a poll that shows how Trump would fare versus Biden in Michigan in November twenty twenty four, a hell of a lot can change between now and then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 also, what well, one thing that that I, I think got very little attention back in 2016 is where were the, what were the three states that surprised us? Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Those were, that's where the polls were sort of, were off. Now, the thing is, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania in 2016, they had virtually no early vote, Hmm. virtually no mail-in vote. It was all election day. So if you had movement in an election the last three, four, five days, week, ten days of a of an election, where's it? Where's that movement going to, going to show up the most? Well, it's going to be states with no early vote. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it, it, you know there 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 are lots of things going on other than polls being good or polls being bad. Uh, but some pollsters have better reputations uh, deservedly than than others. Okay, so let's talk about the White House, the Republican primary. Most polls today show that Donald Trump has it locked up. He's the inevitable nominee. We saw that uh, this latest New York Times poll, they reported that no candidate who's been that far ahead at this time has ever lost the nomination for the Republican Party. Do you buy that, that Trump's got it locked up? Uh, Basically, yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. Barring a health event, an adverse health event, something like that, um, he's got the Republican Party in a trance and has has for umpteen years now. And every every time there's an indictment, every time there's a uh, what would normally be a career ending allegation charge story. I hear people say, well, this is it. This is when yeah. Republicans are going to turn on them. And, you know, what was the old line that insanity is, is, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Um, 
you know, the, these people, when you've got a party that 69% of them think that, that Trump didn't lose the 2020 election and roughly the same kind of numbers don't think he did anything wrong, then why should they turn on him? Why go to the fake stuff if they got the real thing? But, uh, and also this is just a different party than the party that nominated Romney or McCain or George W. Bush or H.W. or Reagan or anybody. I mean, this is a fundamentally a different party that uh, it's, it's a, a party that's no longer a college educated country club upscale party. That party mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. Right. So if Donald Trump is the. Actually, let me, let me drop the number. These are some sure. numbers that uh, uh, from the NBC Wall Street Journal and now NBC poll uh-huh. that uh, in t- 10 years ago, 2012, uh, 48% of the Republican vote or Republican voters were white without college degrees, 48%. You know what it is now? 62%. Whites with college degrees dropped from 40 to 25, and the non-white Republicans basically stayed constant at 12. So this is a party that does not resemble the one that uh, we used to think about. This is not the party of George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush or Ronald Reagan. It's it's, it's, it's It's a downscale populist vote, populist uh isolationist, nationalistic, um, you know, it's, uh, um, bears minimal, if any resemblance to the party that when you and I were kids. Yeah. Right. Uh, a party that I once worked for or a Republican, uh, of that party I once worked for at any rate. So if Trump is the inevitable nominee, uh, Charlie, what do you say today are the chances that he, could be or would be reelected president of the United States. Does he have a shot? Hell yeah. I mean, if you, let's say for a second, go back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. If the race is dead, if the national vote is dead even, Trump wins easily. Mm-hmm. It wins the Electoral College easily. And if, uh, um, you know, you think back to uh, Biden, um, what did he win the, um, Let's see. He won uh, the popular vote by uh, seven million votes, which was double Hillary Clinton's three million by four and a half points, double her two point one. And yet um, basically won the presidency based on one hundred twenty six thousand votes in four states. Yeah. You only win when you have five states that were decided by a point and a half or less, five states. And Biden won four out of five. But it was Georgia, two-tenths of one percentage point. Arizona, three-tenths. Pennsylvania, six-tenths. Wisconsin, 1.2 percentage points. So just barely, barely won. And that's when you're, you know, you had a a four and a half point lead in the national popular vote. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, you can solve the same thing with uh, Hillary Clinton, same thing with Al Gore. That... um, um, there is a pronounced advantage for any Republican um, in the in the pop in the electoral college versus the popular vote. So, you know, what do you think are the chances of uh, Biden winning by four, five, six, seven points this time? 
I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so I, I, I don't think it's chances of losing, or, or I don't think Trump's chances of winning a general election against Biden, I don't think they're a bit under 50-50. Wow. Wow. If they're not, if it's not higher. And that's what, you know, I think when you, we read earlier this week or last week that um, um, President, uh, former President Obama had lunch with Biden, with President Biden in June and was expressed concern that Democrats were overconfident. And I, I sense that, too. I don't think Democrats, uh, uh, you know, I think part of it was they escaped 2022 and they learned the wrong lesson from it. I mean, Democrats didn't win that election. Republicans lost it. I mean, they, they basically nominated in about two dozen key races. They nominated MAGA candidates very uh, in, in very purple competitive uh, states for Senate, governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and about, you know, called eight house races. And they jumped the shark. They they nominated exotic and problematic candidates when if they had nominated a potted plant, they would have won at least half. <laughs> we saw last week with a whole circus of um, uh, Trump coming to Washington, D.C., being arraigned, being arrested, being arraigned for, for this latest a series of indictments. Uh, and of course, this seems to be or this is the thrust of his campaign, right? His, his campaign is all about 2020. It's all about retribution, all about revenge. Uh, is, doesn't that mean that that's what the Republican Party platform is going to be in 2024? And is that good for the Republican Party or for the MAGA Party, whatever you want to call it? Well, I, mean, I don't think any of this is good for the Republican Party, but that's, uh, you know, that, that's, 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 that's down the road. No, I, I mean, the thing is, I think Trump does what he does and he does what he's familiar with, what he's comfortable with. And, you know, I think one thing that uh, should be concerning is that I think his people, the campaign people, the people that are running his campaign and his campaign is far superior to where it was in 2012 or 2016, or I'm sorry, 16 or 20, mm -hmm. far, far, far. And that uh, they're going to execute. I mean, you know, to me, 16 was as much. It's better to be lucky than good. Um, and they were real lucky. And, you know, Hillary Clinton had all kinds of problems. And um, that that was that. But, um, you know, if you think about all the damage, all the things that that Donald Trump has done or alleged to do. And at best, Biden is running. Well, the most favorable polls around have him up by about three, which probably isn't enough. Mm -hmm. But if you're up against someone as horribly flawed as Trump is, and you're not ahead by more than that, that suggests that there's a lot, you know, there are a lot of things going on. And to me, you know, you've got an election where about 45, about 90% of the vote is just absolutely locked up. You know, there are people that either are Democrats or lean and vote Democratic. There are people that are Republicans or lean or vote Republican. And each one's about basically 45 percent each. So that's 90. So that leaves 10 percent that are pure independents, no lean. And there are people who don't uh, read, watch, listen to much in the way of news. They don't like politics. They don't like politicians. They don't like political parties. They don't pay attention until late. But 
to the extent that right things bother them, they don't want either one of these guys to be their candidate to be to be running, and they hold Trump's character and and you know integrity, ethics, all that. They hold that against him, but against Biden, President Biden, um, they don't think that someone that's eighty should be running for a four-year term. I mean, they just don't, and and hell, a lot of Democrats think that too. And uh, and the thing is, whether you think that President Biden look, and I, I think if I think if Joe Biden and Donald Trump did a hundred yard dash today, I bet Biden would win nine out of ten times. Uh, but I think think you're right. Well, perception is more important than reality, and Biden looks old. He mm-hmm. he he walks. He looks frail, and. People see that. People know people that are in their 80s. Hell, they know some people in their 70s that might that 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 shouldn't be, you know. And so that bothers them. Um, economy and some of the decisions that uh, uh, economic decisions in the first year, year and a half, some of those bother them. And so these are cross pressured people. They, they've got reasons they don't want to vote for Trump. They've got reasons they don't want to vote for Biden. But their options are either pick one or not vote at all. Yeah. Uh, I want to be sure I heard you correctly. Are you saying today you believe that 90% of the presidential vote in 2024 is already in the bank? Yeah. And I think it was in 2020 and 2016. I mean, the the thing is that (laughs) there are no defectors anymore. Yeah. You know, there are virtually no Democrats that will vote for any Republican for anything and vice versa. I mean, the days of having a brand where you could get some crossover vote, it's it's basically over. I mean, you had a little bit of leakage on the Republican side in some of these key races, but it was really more about uh, independence breaking, uh, breaking more more towards Democrats, but it was because of the Republicans that did that. But I think that gave Democrats a, a sense, of, a false sense of complacency, uh, and that uh, uh, that maybe they're not taking the threat of Trump as seriously as they should. Hmm. Uh, boy, that that's an awful lot of money that's going to be spent for a very slight, a very <laughs> thin slice of the electorate. But um, I, think just- it, I think it's going to come down to. In the last couple of weeks, among those people that are the, uh, you can look at them as pure independents. In other words, they don't lean either direction. Or some people look at it slightly differently, and they say the double haters, the people that have unfavorable views of both of them. So you could define it two different ways. But um, it's who are they matter at? Who are they more afraid of? or of all the reservations, concerns, convictions that they may have about these two, which ones are going to be closest to the surface and make make the biggest, have the biggest impact on their decision when they make their final decision. And so we're talking about a very, very small number uh, slice of people um, in a very small number of, of states, you know, call it eight states or so. Right. So, uh, Charlie, you mentioned um, Biden's approval rating, um, and you also mentioned how impressed you are by the Trump campaign, and that that they're much more organized or better organized. They got a better strategy and better people. I'm not saying better than Biden. I'm just saying better than it was 
the last two times when, yeah. you know, he did win once and damn near one second time. So right. it's better than that. I'm not saying it's better than the, I mean, the Biden people, I think, are doing a lot right. The question is, is it enough? That, that's what I was going to ask you. Well, what's your impression of the Biden campaign? They seem to be holding back. What could President Biden possibly say that would have any impact whatsoever on how people view Donald Trump? There's nothing he could say. And and so, I mean, I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, I, I think getting around and wrestling with a pig in the mud. I mean, what's the <laughs> point of that? Right. Um, uh, you know, I just don't think it would, uh, you know, he needs to be seen as doing his job, doing his best, having good people around him and and hoping hoping it, it, it works. But, you know, Bill, I think part of what's going on is that now um, that we with with virtually no crossover vote, I mean, we're an evenly divided country. And it's a country where the parties, conservative Democrats no longer exist. Liberal Republicans no longer exist. And moderates don't vote in primaries much anymore. And so you've got two parties that are each dominated by their ideological bases and have gotten more and more and more ideological over the years. I think when um, uh, you, know, you think, what was the turning point in 2020? Well, is when it looked like Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee and Democrats looked around and said, you know, that's probably not a great idea and hit the panic button and picked a guy that had come in fourth in Iowa and fifth in New Hampshire because they saw him as centrist and largely uh, relatively centrist and largely uh, more, you know, widely acceptable and and so and I don't want to I, I've you know known Joe Biden a long time. I like the guy. I think he's one of the most decent people you would ever find in American politics. But let's face it. I mean, he won the nomination because he wasn't Bernie Sanders and he won a general election because he wasn't Donald Trump. And the country is evenly divided. There's no mandate. He had no mandate because the margin was so narrow. There are no mandates. We don't have landslides and mandates anymore. And so. People, I mean, I think the country thought they were going to get a, a center-left candidate, and instead, you know, th- there was a decision to go for historic and transformational. When the American people aren't looking, weren't looking for historic or transformational, whether it was on the left side or the right side. I mean, there's no, there's no mandate for anything. <laughs> right. You know, um, and, and I think you could make an objective case, I'm trying not to speak as a Democrat here, that D- Joe Biden has accomplished a lot in two years, right? Um, it, whether you talk about the chips bill or the infrastructure, even in a bipartisan fashion, uh, getting us out of COVID, the economy is fairly strong, market's certainly very strong. What, what is it, in your opinion, why doesn't Joe Biden get credit for any of this? Is it just because he's 80 years old? I would argue that the first eight or nine months was a horror show. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just, it was dramatic overreach. Uh, the rescue package was probably too big by a factor four, maybe five, uh, that by going with the uh, uh, letting House Democrats basically hold hostage infrastructure, which was actually quite popular and was something that, that was, God knows, it was 
30 years overdue. Uh, and then, you know, the, 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 uh, the third and fourth pieces of the package was the sort of the social infrastructure. And quite frankly, that never had any chance of passing the way it was proposed. And then there was the voting, the voting rights thing that had a lot mm-hmm. of things that had very little to do with voting in it. And so that first eight, nine, 10 months really didn't go very well. And which is why his numbers, you know, his honeymoon kind of lasted until about July, August of 21. And that's when his numbers started dropping Mm -hmm. and concerned about the economy, concerned about inflation. You know, people are, well, we're not, it's not going to have inflation or won't be much. It'll be transitory, all that. Well, it turned out to be a lot more serious than that. And you had some people that had never experienced any inflation before, or some had only read about history books or some, you know, they remembered it far in the far back. And they, but they, they hold that against, I mean, there's a reason why, his job approval ratings on handling the economy are so bad, even though there are signs that the economy is actually has has is is getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there are so much more we could talk about in terms of the presidential, but there's a lot more at stake in 2024. Of course, uh, the Senate and the House, both of them close now. Uh, that's going to be a real Donny Brook to see how they turn out. Uh, Charlie, we're going to take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, and let's come let's come back and talk about the congressional side of politics 2024. And now, talking about political campaigns, it's time for those of us who follow politics and want to help get the right people elected to dig in and get involved and make a contribution. I've told you about it before. Uh, Act Blue is where Carol and I go to make all of our donations to Democrats only, of course. Uh, and I strongly urge you uh, to do so. We're looking at some important Senate races. Uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, John Tester in Montana, Bob Casey, Pennsylvania, Ruben Gallego in Arizona, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. But whichever Senate seats are important to you, and of course the White House, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, whichever House seats are important you can contribute to all of them. Just designate where you money, where you want your money to go to Act Blue at actblue.com. Check it out, actblue.com, and get involved. Put your money where your priorities are. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast. 
Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back. Our guest today, uh, the great Charlie Cook, longtime friend of mine, founder, of course, of the Cook Political Report, still a contributor to now the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter. Let's talk about the Senate, Charlie. First of all, how close is it? Um, what do Democrats, what do Republicans need to take over or Democrats need to hold on? And um, what do you think are some of the key states we, we ought to be watching? You know, the Senate's now 51-49 because ben- Democrats picked up Pennsylvania uh, last year. Yeah. And, and uh, when you look at, you know, the map is always incredibly important. And the challenge that Democrats have is they've got seven seats up, seven Democratic seats up that are in states that Donald Trump carried at least once in either 16 or 20, three of them, Montana, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, they've got Democrats up in in states that Trump carried twice. And then Hmm. you've got uh, Arizona, where I don't know how you want to count sentiment, whether a Democrat or independent. You've got the open seat in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those four are all states that Trump carried once. And so it's just an ugly map. And there is not a single Republican seat up in a state that Democrats even got close to winning. I mean, the most the most Democratic state for Republican seats up, the least Republican state is Texas. Mm, yeah. Wow. Florida. So this is a tough, tough, tough map. And the only hope Democrats have is if Republicans jump the shark again and nominate a bunch of MAGA people in in states that aren't that aren't particularly MAGA. I mean, they may be right of center, but they're not MAGA. And um, if if uh, to the extent that Republicans, whether it's House Center or anything else, uh, nominate people that are, uh, as I put it, uh, my wife's trying to get me to stop using the term wacko. So I'll go with potentially uh, <laughs> problematic. Uh, <laughs> As long as they nom- if they nominate people like that, then Democrats have a chance of holding on the Senate. But it, it's it's a map that's it's not a fair. The map is not a fair map. Is that a case where Trump could have a negative impact on some of these races by insisting on or endorsing candidates who are, uh, I'll use the term, wacko? Well, I don't think that's likely. Oh. To me, it would not be Trump as the guilty party as much as Republican primary voters. I mean, if mm. Donald Trump's name's on the ballot, he doesn't give a damn about anybody else's names who may be on the ballot. You know, I mean, that was a luxury in a midterm election, but uh, uh, that, 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 that uh, you know, he certainly uh, over, overreached there. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think you'll see a lot of interference from Trump in these things. But I think what you will see is uh, ask is, um, have Republican primary voters learn their lessons to uh, nominate people that can win competitive races rather than just if it feels good, do it. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you had, um, you know, whether it was Carrie Lake in Arizona, I mean, you know, gubernatorial Senate, uh, New Hampshire. I mean, you know, take, take Georgia, for example. 
you had nine Republicans running statewide in Georgia. Eight out of nine of them won. The one that didn't, Herschel Walker. Yeah. Never, never should have nominated. If they had nominated a potted plant, it had won. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it was just case after case after case where they did that. I've counted up basically uh, four Senate, four gubernatorial, uh, four attorney general, four secretary of state, and about eight House races. So about two dozen races where they nominated just simply the wrong person, where they would have had, give or take, 50-50 chance of winning each one of those. And they lost every one of them. Yeah. So certainly we could add Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania to that list. Uh, Senate and gubernatorial in Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, right. In New Hampshire. I mean, just kind of we can go go down the line. Um, and so to me, that was uh, those were unforced errors on the part of Republicans. Uh, not that Democrats had done a lot right, but that Republicans did a whole lot wrong. Uh, also, a very slim margin in the House. What is it, five that uh, Kevin McCarthy's got? How, how do you read the House? Well, you know, we we came out of the 2020 election with Democrats, you know, had been expected to gain seats and they lost. Uh, but Democrats came out with a basically a five seat advantage, uh, which is nothing in a four and 35 member House. Um, and then we have 2022 and now Republicans have a five seat margin. I, I have no reason to believe that the House is going to be anything other than, you know, within 10, 10 seats, 10, 15 seats one way or the other, because it reflects the country. The country is evenly divided. You still think it could go one way or the other? I can't imagine either party winning the House with much to spare. And and it's kind of like, I mean, think about whether to think about the presidential or the House where um, neither Neither side is strong enough to win on raw talent. And yet, um, so it, it becomes as much or more, uh, as much a parliamentary vote as anything else. President Biden is very fortunate that he's facing, you know, Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Marianne Williamson and possibly a, a, a relatively obscure House member from Minnesota. But if he'd had a Jared Polis, a Gretchen, News, a Gretchen uh, Whitmer, a uh, uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, Amy Klobuchar, I mean, there are any yeah. one of two or three dozen Democrats, current or former Senate, Senate uh, senators or governors, that I think would would, would beat him in a primary. So um, I, I, I shouldn't say luck because I think they, I think the White House worked real hard to make sure that no mainstream establishment people of any stature ran. Right. Challenge the president. Uh, one more question about the House. It's sort of the flip side of the Senate. Um, I forget what is a dozen or so um, seats now held by Republicans in districts that Joe Biden carried, right? Um, the moderates who are telling Kevin McCarthy, let's not go too far to the right or else we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, you basically have you have five Democrats that are sitting in Trump's in Trump districts and eighteen Republicans that are sitting in Biden districts. Ah, uh huh. And yeah. so it, it, you know, there, yeah, I mean, there, there is uh, there is an imbalance there. Or if you want to look at it slightly differently and just say turnover districts, that there are eight Democrats that are sitting in districts that have been Republicans two years ago, 
uh, and 14 Republicans that are sitting in seats uh, um, that had been held by Democrats two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. So, yeah, it's it's um, the House is the is a more accurate barometer of the public mood of which way the wind's blowing. Is it you know high or low? The 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 Senate it's much more affected by what's the map? You know what does the map look like? You know who had which party had a really great election six or twelve or eighteen years ago when this group of Senate seats were last up. Right. So let me ask you just a final question, Charlie. And again, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, and it's so good to talk to you again. So you look at this all the time and we see how things lay today. And you've kind of you've laid it out for us, the White House, the Senate and the House. But you're watching to see if there's any changes, any of the trends going in a different direction. What are you looking for? What are you looking out for that indicate that things could be changing? And what should people be watching? What are key factors, do you think? That's, you know, in the old days when you and I were getting our start, we'd watch the right direction, wrong track numbers. But now, you know, we're kind of stuck on wrong track around 70 <laughs> percent. So wow. that's no longer yeah. a useful barometer. Um, I, you know, I, I think I'd mentioned a couple. Um, I would watch independent. How do independents see the economy is doing? And and mm-hmm. I think we talked about this, that in politics, uh Perception is more important than reality. And yeah. so whether the economy is, in fact, getting better and how much it's getting better is less important than w- whether people think it is. And but given that 90 percent of the votes basically locked in, it's basically what are independence thinking. Mm-hmm. And so one mm-hmm. thing and I'm working on a column on this is watching uh, the U- University of Michigan every month. They do their index of consumer sentiment, their version of the consumer confidence. But unlike the conference board that does the other one, they break it out by party. And so I'm watching consumer confidence among independents. Yeah. Is they yeah. think it's getting better. And then the second question is, um, we know that the economy played a real role in President Biden's numbers dropping back in the latter part of the summer and early fall of 21. Now, if the if the if the economy is no longer the liability that it was, uh, does does he get some buoyancy out of that, or is it something else? And that's where it gets back to to what extent or is it offset at all by concerns about age, health, you know, physical health, cognitive ability, whether it's now or five years from now, if he were to be reelected. You mm-hmm. know, when you've got somebody at the end of a second term is gonna be closer to 90 than 80, um, you know, that's got people scratching their heads. And um and as I said a little while ago, I think he'd probably beat Donald Trump nine times out of 10, a hundred yard dash. But appearances are really, really important. And, um, you know, you, there's not a whole lot you could do with how you with, you know, the pace that you appear to be aging. Right. And, uh, you, you know, I, th- I think he's probably has higher energy levels than I do. But then again, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Charlie, you and I've been around this uh, political scene for a long time, and I, uh, I think we'd have to agree we've never seen anything like this that we're living through right now. So I it's along uh, with that, but I'd also say that uh, my wife has called me a pathological optimist, <laughs> but 
I've never been more worried about our country mm. and political process than I am right now. I, I'm very, very worried, and that's not my nature. Um, and, um, you know, the system's just sort of not working real well. And I don't know, you know, you think of the great leader theories. It's okay, the great, some wonderful, great person is going to come along and have such amazing leadership. Well, I'm not sure they'd run for office anymore. And I'm yeah. not sure now if they could win a primary. And then you say, well, would there be some cataclysmic event that sort of is a like an electroshock therapy? Well, um, I would have thought 9-11 would have done it. And it kind of seemed too briefly. I would have thought that a once a century pandemic might do it. Mm-hmm. The crap made things worse. Yeah. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but um, we're sort of not in a really great place right now. Well, Charlie, I share your worry about uh, our political system, and I think uh, this election has a lot to do with whether our, our political system, our democracy, in fact, survives. And uh, at any rate, we've got a good look at the uh, the state of affairs right now, po- politics 2024 here in this country. Thanks to you. Thanks, Charlie, so much for your time. Great to talk to you again. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with uh, Charlie Cook. Always great to catch up with him and get the lay of the political landscape. Uh, Now, have a great week, folks, but uh, come back and see us on Friday before the weekend starts, our Reporters Roundtable, where we'll take a look back at all the news of the week from Washington. Also, a possible new indictment of Donald Trump, who knows when, from Fulton County, Georgia, good land before the end of the week. And we'll also be checking out a special election in Ohio, which could have a big impact on a measure on the ballot in November uh, to cancel or overturn uh, the legislature's tight restrictions on abortion in Ohio. So very important special election on Tuesday in Ohio. All the political news of the week we'll be talking about on this Friday's Reporters Roundtable. Again, have a great week. We'll see you on Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.